All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez. I'm here with John Downing, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Johnny, how you doing, man? Pretty good. A lot going on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I see you got your LSU hat on. Uh, I know you are a diehard LSU fan. You bleed purple and yellow. No, I totally jumped on the bandwagon this year. <laughs> I am like one of those sports fans for LSU that you people despise. You know, some team, your team wins the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden you got all these new bandwagon fans. But no, my college team that I've always loved is the Miami Hurricanes. Obviously, haven't been good for a long, long time. Um, once their season was in the gutter, I saw that LSU was a team that was fun to watch. They were beating really good teams, and I really, really enjoyed watching this. Joe Burrow play quarterback and so once they played the Alabama game a game they usually lose a lot of teams lose to Alabama especially at Alabama and they were just electric in that game and that kind of pushed me over to the top to the next level and I was like all right I'm all in on LSU this year and I went online bought my gear got a sweatshirt got a t-shirt I got my hat and I'm all in for LSU for the rest of the year but now that Joe Burrow is gone uh, after last night's game, who knows what will happen next year. But it was a fun year for LSU. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll move right into our number 47s. Uh, Johnny, you want to take this one first? Sure. I'm going to go with a pretty or semi-local product from Bill Ricca, Massachusetts. Number 47, Tom Glavin. Tom Michael Glavin, born March 25th, 1966. Uh, former professional baseball player or pitcher for the Atlanta Braves from 1987 to 2002, and then finished his career with the Mets from 03 to 07. He was also MVP of the 95 World Series, and the Braves beat the Indians. Tom Glavin's career one loss record is 305 and 203, with a 3.54 ERA and 2,607 strikeouts. Glavin was a 10 time All Star two-time Cy Young Award winner. He also won the Silver Slugger Award for pitcher four times. He led the National League in wins five times. And he's retired by the Atlanta Braves. His number 47 is retired by the Braves in their Hall of Fame. And he's in the um, Baseball Hall of Fame as well. He was uh, given, or he was voted in on the first ballot with 92% of the votes. Um, I would say he was the second best option on those historic Braves teams of the 90s when they had the Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz trio of pitchers, mm -hmm. and even Steve Avery early on, and they were just unbelievable. And I think that Glavin kind of goes a little underappreciated, underrecognized, just because, you know, Greg Maddox was so iconic and one of the best pitchers of all time that he overshadows Glavin, and I think, you know, if Glavin was on any other team, he would be the ace, and he'd be legendary, and, you know, he would be, mean so much more, and, you know, he's great, and he was, or he was great for so long, but just that, the fact that he pitched with Maddox and Smoltz, um, I, I think it kind of, 
dimmed his legacy? It dims his legacy a little bit, but man, he was an absolute stud. He really was. And, you know, he was a tremendous fielding pitcher. He was a great hitting pitcher, as I noted before. And he was just the consistency. He was a left-handed pitcher, and he was just, you know, like Maddox, he could always hit his spots. Uh, he was just a very smart and kind of an analytical pitcher before analytical times. And he was also big in big games, hence the you know World Series MVP in 95. And I think you know the one black mark on those Braves teams that won so many division titles in a row over the years is that they only won one World Series, unfortunately. Um, a team with a pitching staff like that almost doesn't matter what the lineup is for hitters you put around them. They, sh- they should have, have had more success than they, than they did. Um, so that, that's going to be the Braves' lasting legacy and the, the, that trio of pitchers' lasting legacy is that they didn't win enough. But I just want to do my 47 and show a little appreciation for what Tom Glavin was as a pitcher because like, he really was phenomenal and, like, like I said, a little underappreciated. Marty! 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 Well, looks like Johnny took my thunder away from me tonight by picking Tom Glavin for his number 47. After a long, extensive research in the NBA, the only 47 worth mentioning, just like 46, not too many popular numbers between these two, number 47 who played for the Utah Jazz, Andrea Karolinko, AK-47. Not quite sure you can get away with a nickname like that nowadays, but Karolinko in his career with the Utah Jazz averaged 12.4 points, 5.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.4 1.4 steals on 47.1% shooting, 30.7% from the three, 73.3% from the free throw line. That's it, folks. Rather boring, but that's all I have. Who you got? Okay. Um, I went with uh, Steelers Royalty, one of the centerpieces of the 70s teams that won four championships. One of the, if not the, with all due respect to Rod Woodson, perhaps the best cornerback to ever do it. Mel Blunt, born April 10th, 1948 in Toombs County, Georgia. uh, And he spent his early years in poverty in a Georgia farm and was offered a scholarship to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was picked 53rd overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the third round of the 1970 draft, and he became a starter in 1972. That season, he did not allow a single touchdown. Known for his rugged and physical style of play, his specialty was the bump-and-run pass defense, and due to his size and speed, he was able to bully and overpower receivers, uh, making him one of the top uh, shutdown backs of the day. Midway through his career, however, the rules regarding pass coverage were changed, making such harassment of the receiver illegal, and this would become to be known as the Mel Blunt rule. Blunt ended his career of 200 games with 57 interceptions, which uh, he returned for 736 yards and two touchdowns. He intercepted at least one pass in all 14 NFL seasons, and led the league in interceptions with 11 in 1975. He was also a kick returner early in his career, and he totaled 36 returns for 911 yards and a, two, uh, and a 25.3 yard average. 
He also recovered 13 fumbles, two of which he returned for touchdowns. He's a four-time Super Bowl champion, including intercepting a ball leading to the go-ahead drive in Super Bowl VIII. A five-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1975, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, class of 1989. My number 47, Mel Blunt. Not bad. Just one of many, many, many Steelers Hall of Famers. And in fact, they added another Hall of Famer this weekend. Did you Bill see Kyer. what they did for the coaches this weekend on oh, Saturday and Sunday? I thought that was awesome uh, t- to see that. And I wonder if I wonder if Jimmy had an inkling after seeing what happened uh, to, to Bill the night he before. Didn't, he looked like he was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I did. I did see that. Yeah, but what a what a touching moment for both of those guys, especially uh, for Bill Cowher having both his wife and and uh, daughter there. Uh, Do you think Cowher is deserving of a Hall of Fame nod? Because that would mean that Tomlin is likely also deserving of a Hall of Fame nod. Yeah, one Super Bowl each. One Super Bowl. That I think that's that's tough. Bill Cowher is one of those legendary coaches, though, uh, where, you know, sort of his mystique, and it, at least for me growing up with it, you know. No, the, I get that. The Cowher scour and, I and mean, all that. I mean, I think and, the 70s coach, Knox. No. No, Chuck Noll, sorry, is uh, is the legendary right. coach. And right. Cowher, I think that if you have to think about whether a guy's a Hall of Famer, maybe he isn't. Yeah, well, it's like, in I many cases... I think Hall of Famer should be slam dunks. Right. In many cases, it's the Hall of Very Good. And I, he is very good. If we are judging between the two careers, I mean, there were some bad Steelers teams in that time. Not all of it Cowher's fault, but there were some really bad, you know, Bubby Brister-led football teams. And I think another thing of Cowher, part of Cowher's legacy is... I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a dick today. I'm not that's not my intention. Is there were a lot of Steelers teams that went had really good regular seasons and had a high seed or a bye and failed to to get far. There was a lot of AFC Championship game losses in there. I think he mm-hmm. lost four times in the championship games and obviously, you know, to the Patriots in 01 and 04. Um so I feel like a lot of times he didn't they didn't quite live up to their Potential, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, that's a that's a criticism of a lot of Steeler teams since Cowher's been gone. Uh, but if you if you compare the two, I think Tomlin Tomlin hasn't had a losing season yet. Um, so they're they have the same amount of Super Bowls, perhaps. You know, but you Tomlin's going to get a, a check mark in his corner as seeing what Antonio Brown has become. And knowing that Tomlin had to deal with that for so many years, mm-hmm. that's a plus for Tomlin. Yeah, that's so- going to go in in the check mark for him. <laughs> having to deal with that wacko. Did you see the latest from AB? And getting rid of him at the right time. Oh my god, T- totally. I mean, that guy is off the rails. That latest post he did with the cops two day yesterday, yelling at the cops, telling them to get off his property, and just calling him, just swearing like in profanities, flying two minutes long, just. Berating the police officers in, in his but outside of his home, that guy's never playing in the NFL again. He's done. Yeah. So Tomlin putting up with that for a long time and Le'Veon Bell. I mean that we didn't know that Antonio Brown was that that didn't know that he had that many screws loose in his head. Well, I mean I think Vontez Perfect knocked most of those loose 
uh, you know, so it could have been something that quickly developed over a couple seasons. True. So no, I give and, and what Tomlin did this year too. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, he deserves a congressional medal yeah. of honor. And so a little bit of a Steelers tangent, but going back to Kyle, I I would say no to the Hall of Fame question. Um, close, but no. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, I would say absolutely slam dunk. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would be inclined to agree. I'm very happy for for Bill Cowher and I have very fond memories of him, but um, you know it's kind of like uh, like Heinz Ward, right? Um, on the bubble, are the numbers there? Maybe, maybe not. It's you know, but should that be Hall of Fame? Probably well, not. Right? Heinz Ward was big for the big for the Steelers in their biggest moments when they. And then when the needed to have it moments, Heinz Ward was there. Right, that that I is true. Like... And you can say, uh, you know, he's the best blocking wide receiver out there. And you can say that, you know, he's he's got the Super Bowl MVP, which which certainly helps. But again, it's it's kind of one of those bubble guys where everybody in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is is like, yeah, this guy's a legend. I love him. Of course, he should be. A Hall of Famer, but when you look at what the Hall of Fame should be, which is the greatest of the greatest of the great, the one percent of the one percent. But the NFL already screwed up years ago because they they started off by letting in way too many Steelers from the from the seventies team. They, mm-hmm. You know, way too many of those guys who didn't have the stats or anything got in. So early on, the Pro Football Hall of Fame got thrown out of whack, and you. As a Steelers fan, are very, very well represented in the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah, that that just set a precedent, and you know, we're not getting Hall of Fame slam dunks now, and but we're getting you know Bill Cowher types. He's very good. I don't want to be critical of a guy who just got in the Hall of Fame because he thought he was a very good coach, but I just didn't think he was quite Hall of Fame worthy. And but on the other hand, Jimmy Johnson. Mm-hmm. He was unbelievable. Man. Oh, yeah. And so I've read uh, a book about Jimmy Johnson and his coaching methods and techniques. And, you know, when he took over that Cowboys team, they were in a terrible way. But before that, he was at the University of Miami. And they were in a terrible... They, they weren't a very good team either. And he took uh, psychology classes when he was in college. And that helped him as a coach to deal with the um, youth living in Miami, and he said when he went to Miami, the University of Miami, that he wanted to um, win the state of Florida and have all the people around Miami go to Miami, not Florida, Florida State, or Alabama, or Oklahoma, or wherever. He wanted to keep the good players in that area, in Miami, and so to do that, he needed to know what drove those inner city kids from Miami, and what what they wanted, to, and how, how to get the best out of them, the most out of them, and how to get them to be successful and translate on the football field. And it really, he parlayed that from the Miami job into the Cowboys job. And the Cowboys were in such a terrible way. And then they trade that Herschel Walker trade and they get all these picks from the Vikings. And man, the Hall of Famers on that team that he developed and the quick turnaround to the Super Bowls. And if there was a Hall of Fame coach, you know, if it wasn't for Belichick, Jimmy Johnson would be up there, Mm -hmm. you know, was one of the top coaches of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Marty, he's gone. Gone? Ah. What do you mean, gone? How long has he been working on this? Marty! Marty! Well, in a segment I would like to call, I'm not crying, you're crying, 
The only thing that we can celebrate this 2020 season as a Cowboys fan is the fact that our beloved Jimmy Johnson was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Johnson, a legendary evaluator of talent and former teammate of Jones at the University of Arkansas, helped architect a Cowboys team that only won two Super Bowls during his time in Dallas, but a third following a toxic split from Jones following the 1993 season. While it was Barry Switzer who steered the Cowboys to a third Super Bowl win in the mid-1990s, the accomplishment was and continues to be roundly viewed as Switzer simply keeping the house of cards built by Johnson from collapsing until it eventually did do just that. Since parting ways, there has been no love lost between Johnson and Jones, but they've mostly reconciled in the past few years as evidenced by Johnson congratulating Jones on his Hall of Fame induction in 2017. And with the announcement of Johnson set to join him in immortality, Jones returned the favor after having also credited Johnson in his Hall of Fame induction speech. Okay. All right. That's our Hall of Fame talk. <laughs> All right. Before, real quickly, before we move on to the weekend that was, I uh, want to talk about the weekend that is to come. In fighting, John, UFC 246, the return of Conor McGregor versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Have you heard anything about this this match, John? No. There's just too much stuff going on that it doesn't get into the brain. doesn't make <laughs> it in, you know? Well, McGregor, uh, you will remember, uh, is hot off of his March 2019 retirement, uh, which was... Which was more of a business decision than anything. Uh, him officially, you know, quote unquote, retiring from the UFC allowed him to enter certain business uh, ventures that he wanted to do. Uh, probably that that whiskey he's got going on. And uh, you'll remember too, we talked about it uh, in the infancy of this podcast that this is his first fight since the fourth round submission to Khabib at UFC 229 in October of 2018. Okay. Johnny, we've been doing this a long time, man. Year and a half. <laughs> right? Year and a half? Yep. Uh, so the 21-4 and four McGregor is facing the 36-13 and 13 Cerrone in the 170-pound uh, fight. It's a five-round fight in Las Vegas Saturday night, and I'm excited to see what happens. You know, McGregor's a, a, a stand-up fighter, and Cerrone's got some good... Um... It's in Vegas, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh. Are you going to go? No, because I won't be there, but <laughs> if it was the following Saturday, I would be able to. Oh, That right, would be right. fun. That, that would, would be, be a fun. Th- go fun see a fight? To to. I wonder yeah. how, how expensive those tickets Probably are. Probably very. <laughs> Cerrone uh, does have some wrestling acumen, and, you know... The probably the best bet for victory for him in this fight is to try, you know, turn it into a wrestling match uh, and, and try and go for the submission. But he's pretty defiant in all of the the press and media saying he wants to stand in there with McGregor and bang. So uh, should be a pretty entertaining fight. And John, best thing about this, it's going to be on ESPN, baby. Right, because they have the new uh, the new deal. Yeah, so uh, I'm excited to see good cards on cable TV coming up this weekend. All right, let's 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 check out these uh ticket prices here. I'm very curious to see just how much. Let's see, two of us. All right, lower level, 
Not bad, actually. 255 each. Oh, that's not bad. No, lower level. That's not bad at all. I, I honestly expected it that's to be That's like a to be playoff more. hockey game. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. What are the cheapest tickets? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's Low to high. Th- those are the cheapest tickets, actually. So that's to get in the building is 255 <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. So, all right, it goes up to like... All right, so it's basically a Bruno Mars concert. <laughs> yeah, if you want to sit anywhere good, you're talking 800 to 1000 Okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. But it can't be a huge arena, right? It's the T-Mobile arena. Isn't that where the uh, Vegas... Golden Knights? Golden Knights. That's where the Golden Knights play, right? Yeah, so, so it's, it's probably 18,000, 17,000. Yeah, 17, so, I mean, the seats can't be god-awful. So just even 250 to get in... I mean, that's something that... If, That'll be a hell if, of a fight. If I was there, I would entertain that. All right. It's showtime, Mr. Funnybones. Mm. Well, I thought it'd be a good time just to talk a little basketball with you guys, give a little mid-season report card on our beloved Boston Celtics. Let's go back to the beginning of the year after losing on opening night to the 76ers. The Boston Celtics ran off 10 straight wins to open the 2019-2020 season and becoming one of the league's best early stories. The headline wrote themselves, Kyrie Irving, the scapegoat, was out. Kimba Walker, the savior, was in. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Walker had spent summer playing together, as you all know, as part of Team USA, building a little bit of chemistry along the way. Always great in the land of green, right? And for the most part, still is. Entering play on Tuesday night, the Celtics are the Eastern Conference number two seed with a 27-11 record and a third best net rating in the league. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, which our Boston fans love to do, as we all know, let's remember that Kyrie got off to the same fairytale start as Kimba has done with Boston this season. Indeed, the 2017-18 Celtics won 16 straight games after dropping their opening two through 36 games that season. In fact, the Celtics were 29-7, four games better than this year's squad, and Kyrie was on the fast track of becoming the next Boston sports hero. In other words, great starts don't necessarily equal great finishes. We all know that. There has been some leveling out in this year's squad as inevitable turbulence of the NBA season has popped off. All told, the Celtics are number four in defense, number five in offense. Again, things are still really good, and they're not over the moon great anymore, but yet they're showing to be prevalent in the Eastern Coast Conference. Since starting 10-1, the Celtics are 17-10, and which is four wins over plus 500 teams per ESPN. In fact, Boston has had the second easiest schedule in the league to date. So don't quite, don't quite buy in just yet, Boston fans. We have a long way to go during this season in seeing just how tough this team is. That doesn't invalidate anything we have done, but it's information worth considering and surely forecasts a challenging road ahead. Are the Celtics up for it? Well, Danny J- well our beloved leader, Danny Ainge, looks to bolster the roster with a deadline deal. We'll have to wait and see what he chooses to do. But as a fan of the Boston Celtics, I love this young young squad, and I love to see where they're going right now. They are tenacious. They are 
impactful on defense. They are creating turnovers. They're spreading the ball around. This is what I wanted to see last year with this squad with Kyrie Irving. But the fact that they didn't do that last year, that Kyrie is controlling the locker room and killing morale was just detrimental, as we saw over the course of the season. But I'm not detecting anything like that so far. So only optimism from here on out. Let's hope that we carry this through. We could only, top, you know, basically this hope at this point hope for a top two, three, four seed. I don't see us topping the Milwaukee Bucks getting into the playoffs at the number one seed. But I do do think that we are, you know, considerably relevant to be competing for the East Coast Championship. <laughs> you cute little monkey. <laughs> Look out! Greetings from the bench. This is Marty. <laughs> and from the bench, I literally mean from the toilet. No, I'm not lying. Not lying whatsoever. This is where a man with a two-month-old and a family life gets a little bit of peace and solace to think about sports. Uh, my thoughts? Let's talk about it. Mike McCarthy becoming the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Clappy McClappy, Jason Garrett's finally fucking out. Thank fucking God. By now you know the gentleman very well. Before he took the reins of the leader of the most viewed and vilified sports franchise on the planet, meaning my Dallas Cowboys, he found success in yet another legacy team, by the way, the Packers, spending 13 seasons in Wisconsin, delivering a Super Bowl victory along with an overall regular season record of 125-77-2. He becomes the first person in NFL history to be named the head coach of both the Packers and the Cowboys hopefully to truly establish himself as a legend by leading both to the Lombardi Trophy. Trophy, excuse me. Only one could hope. Like I said, 13 seasons with the uh, Packers with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre has me a little leery. He might be successful to some point, but will he bring them to the ultimate championship in winning the Super Bowl? Only time will tell. Jones will step aside a little bit from what rumors and reporters are saying in Dallas to allow him to be a little bit more of a head coach and take the reins of the Dallas offense and defense overall. That would probably be the first time since said Jimmy Johnson. Uh, we can only hope. I hope uh, McCarthy will bring something. He is a little bit of an old-school, retro-style coach. I'm liking where the league is heading with some younger coaches. I was kind of hoping Cowboys would head with Kellen Moore that way and build around that staff, but only time will tell. But by far, probably one of the biggest disappointing seasons for me as a fan in the last six or seven years. So let's hope the Cowboys can pull it together. That's my view from the toilet, from the bench. Signing off and signing out. All right, and we got a special guest here joining us in the studio here at the Echo Restaurant and Lounge. A wonderful restaurant, by the way. Just dined here. It is absolutely fantastic. Excellent. Mr. Scott Griswold. Welcome. Patron, patron of the show. Thank you, Mr. Griswold, for your benevolent gifts of audio equipment, of which we are all enjoying. Well, I absolutely love the show and look forward to it every single weekend. Every single week. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. So, yeah, you're a all, all New England guy, right? Yep. Except for when we're watching my teams and then you uh, yell at the TV on my behalf. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I try to support friends and, uh, you know, be there when they need me so yeah okay and uh 
you want to give us your take on uh, the Patriots this year and what, what you see for uh, the franchise? Ooh, well, that's that's uh, this year was from beginning to end. It was suspect on the offense. The offensive line was a sieve. Um, it just never looked like it ever really stood a chance of taking off and, and carrying the team all the way. The defense looked stout, um, but the offense just never seemed like it could Especially secure. Early. Yeah, and even at, no at, at any point, it just seemed like it was going to have to be one of those miracle seasons where, the, you know, there have been several times in the Patriots' history with Brady at the helm where you're like, he can win with anybody. He can make anybody somebody that, that he can throw to. He'll find a way. And this year it just didn't seem like it was there. Defenses took away Edelman. It was over. It's over. I um, think injury took away Edelman. Injury took away Edelman. But they all they had to do is throw two people on him. It was over. It's mm-hmm. over. I just never really felt like I could really get behind it this year with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. As much as I love the team and support them and had hope that when they lost to the Dolphins when they had the number two seed on the line that was it that said everything to I me. was shaking after that loss because I knew how important it was late last year uh, the 2018 season they caught a break when Houston because they were they were finished the season 11 and 5 but they were on track at the end of the year to get the three or the four seed and they needed Houston to lose and Thankfully, Houston gave him a gift and lost at Philadelphia, and the Patriots were able to get a bump up to the second seed and got the bye. And it's just, it's so important to get that bye in the NFL playoffs these days. You know, other than, you know, Tennessee being a six seed advancing in this year's playoffs, the last time a, a team that had to play on wild card weekend and advanced to a AFC or NFC championship game was 2010. Yeah. Uh, so it's always, it seems like it's always chalk and it's just, you you really get to eliminate a game. So you get to, yeah. and you get to sit and rest and scout self scout for a week and then scout your opponent and play at home. So, yeah. you know, instead of having to play Tennessee at home and then, and you let other teams cannibalize themselves as well when you can sit and wait with that buy because yeah. you saw like Baltimore this year finish 14 and 2 and we'll get into that game a little bit more but they finished 14 and 2 they get the buy they're the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl and you know just think things happen in the NFL the NFL's a crazy league and you know other than the Patriots it seems like a lot of other teams will do anything to screw screw themselves like if you watched the Houston Texans Buffalo Bills game in the wild card game two weeks ago, right. the end of that game was such a shit show. They were just <laughs> it, it, both teams were in full panic mode, especially Josh Allen. But the coaches didn't know what to do. Like they they were trying to lose the game. It it, look, it appeared that way. Yeah. Um, but then you, you go to back to Baltimore this weekend against Tennessee, and you get the number one seed, Baltimore. They get knocked out by by Tennessee. So the Patriots, if they had had if they had had the bye. They would have played KC at home, and only a few weeks ago they had lost to KC at home, but it was close, and they had gotten a couple bad calls 
during that game, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, they took away points off the board, and it was a one-score game still in the end. So they would have had another chance of playing Kansas City, who we saw they weren't ready to play either. They came out, they were down 24 to oh nothing my God. to I... Houston, and they did not. They were dropping balls all over the place. You know, Andy Reid has never been a big game coach, so... Just winning that game against Miami now, would have been so huge to get that bye for the Patriots right. and just sit back, you let Baltimore get taken out, and then you've got home field throughout, and all you got to do is win one, maybe two big games, and there you are in the Super Bowl with a, with a good coach and a good quarterback who don't, make, who don't usually beat themselves. But in that Miami game, that 80-yard that, that drive to, to kill them at the end of the game, that, that was torture. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay, let's hop right into the week that was then. So, yeah, the first game on Saturday was the in the divisional round. San Francisco against Minnesota. Minnesota, fresh off the upset win at New Orleans, goes into San Francisco. And San Francisco is a minus seven-point favorite at home. They had the bye. They're the number one seed in the NFC. And immediately you see the effect of uh, good coaching and the Niners game planning and rest. They come out fast and they score on the touchdown on the opening drive, Jimmy G to, to Kendrick Bourne, and they, they get on top of the Vikings early. And then Shanahan just let his defense completely wipe out and take care of Minnesota and shut down Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had had a huge season and was, was you know, missed a couple weeks at the end of the year to get refreshed and was huge last week at New Orleans. But against San Francisco, I, I, I don't even think he had 10 yards in this game. Held him to 18 yards. 18 yards, Dalvin Cook. And Cousins was held in check. And the 49ers win the game 27-10, and it wasn't even that close. And Garoppolo didn't have to throw much, and I heard afterwards that Shanahan saved a majority of his play calls because he knew that he didn't even need him in that game. So they're going to be ready next week for Green Bay. Um, I, I don't know. This game was. You know, oh, I was it, a little disappointed by the by the Vikings' performance here. I thought they just didn't show up to a big game again. Well, it was too much. They, you know, they traveled on the road. They had to go to New Orleans last week, and then they got the shaft schedule because they played on Sunday at New Orleans, and they have to play the early Saturday Short game week. on the West Coast in San Francisco against a really physical, tough team. So they they were in a tough spot. Right. And I know a lot of people were picking Minnesota to win or cover in this game, but I never really I never really took to them in this game because just the the Niners are just with that speed. They have speed on offense. They have speed on defense. Uh, and they're physical, and you know if if you're a bruised and battered and kind of beat up team who's not well rested, you're going to get pushed around by this San Francisco team, and they did. If it's not a 49ers Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl, I'll eat somebody's dick. It might be mine. <laughs> like seriously, it's it, I I just can't see any other. Want to risk that going against no, the Titans? Huh? No. All right. This is that was not official. <laughs> <laughs> Titans seem like they've got some kind of destiny written all over them. I don't know, man. I don't know. Tannehill Titans, man. I don't don't think. The ultimate ultimate game manager. I mean, he's. I don't know, man. He's doing just enough not to lose. So let's let's get right into it then. So, yeah, the second game of the day on Saturday um, of the divisional round was Tennessee, the sixth seed, goes to the AFC one seed, Baltimore, and promptly pushes them all around. You know, Derrick Henry, King Henry uh, was unleashed again. Earl Thomas said he didn't think that the Patriots the week before really wanted to tackle Derrick Henry. Well, neither did they. And Derek and Earl Thomas specifically 
Oh, got, he got posterized. Got abused and posterized by Derrick Henry, and Henry oh, actually had amazing. more yards per carry and more yards than against Baltimore than he did against the New England Patriots the week before. 195 yards on 30 carries with a long of 66. Unbelievable. It's a shame he didn't have a touchdown because he he deserved. He threw it. for one. He threw for one oh, uh, on the goal when he they were on the goal line and he jumped up and threw a touchdown pass to Corey Davis. Yeah, all right. right. I guess that counts. So. <laughs> You know, the, the Titans had a really good game plan on this game. Being physical and running the ball and sticking with the run, uh, not exposing Tannehill. And, you know, the offensive line for Tennessee, I think, is just the most underrated part, is that like even against the Patriots, they get a, like a yard or two of push. If you just watch the, the linemen, those Tennessee linemen can really uh, – they, they get Derrick Henry ahead of ahead, – ahead of steam built. And so when Henry gets the ball, they're, they're already a yard or two ahead of the line of scrimmage, and Henry can build up some steam and just Run get going. Over. And you know, even if he only he only gets a yard or two on his own, he always falls forward, and he's, he's huge. And so it seems like every time he touches the ball, it's at least four or five yards. Which and, is a win. Which is a win. And then more than that, you know, especially as the game wears on, the physicality of trying to tackle him and dealing with that offensive line is becoming a problem, and it's wearing down defenses, clearly. Especially when he's getting the ball 30 times, and Ryan Tannehill's also not afraid to, to run it himself. You know. Yep. He had a, touch, a rushing touchdown. Yeah, and Tannehill, like the second game in a row, Tannehill barely need to, needed to throw the ball. And, 88 yards. You know, it's not that he hasn't. But been, he adds two touchdowns, too. So it, you know, Yeah, he's it, been terrific the entire season you know, since he became the starter. You know, throwing for almost 300 yards a game in most games, and you know he was his passer rating's been through the roof. But they didn't need to pass in this game, but they and, haven't and even they get ahead. They get ahead early, and um, you know, the Ravens didn't want Lamar Jackson to have to throw the ball 59 times. You know, and yeah, and I think the Ravens just got too full of themselves, read their own press clippings, and. They got away from what works from them, which is the running game. You know, the run, you know, with Ingram and the RPOs, run pass options. And as soon as they got down early, they started getting full panic mode. And then, you, yeah, you don't want Lamar Jackson throwing the ball 59 times. He threw like half of those balls were ducks. He was throwing a lot of wobblers. Now I know the end of the stats. He he accounted for almost 500 yards or right around there. The stats look good, but if you watch the game, you know that most of it was garbage time. And he made a lot of mistakes in that game. There were a lot of drops by the Baltimore team, but they just became unhinged so quickly. And I think that they were just read their own press clippings and were, were full of themselves and, and if, thought that this was going to be an easy task for them. And Vrabel went in there and with a good game plan for the Titans, and they stuck it to him. And then they, they just held on at the end. The Ravens were, I think, one of those teams that gets victimized by their own success, I think, with a young quarterback like Lamar Jackson getting nearly three weeks off is not good because he doesn't have that experience to fall back on where the rest becomes beneficial. Uh, I think he's still at that point in his career and in his growth as a professional in this league where he needs the practice and the rhythm and the repetition and to stay in the groove and stay on a roll and uh you know, so sitting him in week 17, because uh, you're never going to want to give the buy away. That's stupid to say to, you know, you don't want to win. You don't want the buy. That's stupid. But 
perhaps they should have played him for at least half the game uh, in Week 17 against the Steelers. I understand not wanting him to get hurt, but I think somebody that young, there's a there's an argument to be made for for giving him the reps. Yeah, keep just keep the momentum building. Like Tennessee, they've had the momentum building, you know, ever since Week Seven or whatever. You know, they needed to win that game at Houston in Week Seventeen, and they did. And then they go to New England and win, and they take that and bring it to Baltimore. I think the thing that Tennessee really did is to Lamar Jackson is they took away the tight ends. Lamar Jackson loves to throw to those tight ends, and they just weren't allowing that as his primary option. So he kept having to go outside to the receivers who, you know, aren't high-volume receiver-type guys. You know, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown isn't a high-volume-type receiver, and neither is Willie Sneed and, and the rest of the group. And then when Lamar Jackson and the Ravens did try to run the ball, when Lamar Jackson, you know, wanted to run the ball, the Ravens did a really good job of setting the edge and not letting Lamar Jackson get outside. So they contained him, and they forced him to run up the middle where they wanted him so they could prevent him from having those re- the really long runs. So, I mean, he still had 143 yards on, on But a on lot of it was garbage time. You know, when it mattered, they, 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 you know, they, they controlled the game. They dictated pace of the game. Mm-hmm. Now that the sun is set on the Ravens season, and we can take uh, a, a look at what they're going to be for the future. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if Lamar Jackson can come back and be the same dominant force he was this year now that uh, now that there's going to be a book on him, you know, and now that he's got all that tape out there and teams are going to spend the entire offseason uh, scheming against him. So we'll see. He, he's a cute regular season quarterback. You know, win MVPs in the regular season, beat up on bad teams. Uh, but the run, there's a reason running quarterbacks and quarterbacks like him never win in the playoffs and never have, have because they face the physical, tough, smart teams and they know how to contain. And, and, if, and if Lamar Jackson can't develop a really accurate throwing arm, then it's always going to be an issue because no matter how much Lamar Jackson says he wants to be known as a, as a throwing quarterback, not a running quarterback, that running... The, the running is always in his mind, and he's always going to try to use it instead of try to go to read one, read two, read three, read four, and try to find the open guy through his progressions. And you know, in the playoffs, that just doesn't work because you're going you're gonna to face a team that's, that's physical and it's going to beat you up and it's going to force you to make smarter decisions. And I, I just don't – I do worry that – they are not going to be or, or get to the Super Bowl where some people think they are going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this team, the public beat the, the, the public built this Ravens team up so, so much, in my opinion, and just they proved to be frauds. Okay. Moving right along to the Sunday games, we had the Texans in Arrowhead Stadium. God damn, was it loud there? Uh, but not at first. <laughs> <laughs> shell shock. They were shell shocked. <laughs> I saw a lot of unhappy faces in that crowd. There were people leaving. Some yeah. people left. Huh? So twenty-four to nothing. The Texans jump out, and the, like like the Ravens the night before, KC starts out. They're dropping balls all over the place. Uh, they get a blocked punt return for a touchdown. And muff, muff. Yeah, the muff punt, and you know things are going. Is as good as could possibly be expected be expected for the Titan for the Texans, and then they're up twenty-one to nothing, and then they have the ball inside the twenty-five yard line of Kansas City. Uh, they it's third and ten. They get down. It's close to a first down. They elect not 
to um, challenge the spot. So it's fourth and one, and then they, they decide not to go for it on fourth and one because O'Brien says, Bill O'Brien, Coach O'Brien says that they did not have a play that he felt comfortable with on fourth and one on his opponent's 20 yard line. And it's like, what? If it's you're the first not quarter. Like, what? <laughs> right. How about. Do something what and, and get and, them out on the edge. And they're dictating. At that point, they, they, were, they were dictating. dictating. Yeah. And yeah. so anyway, they're 21 nothing. If you're going to knock out the Chiefs, I mean, you're going to have to score a lot of points. And they said they knew they needed to score a lot of points. So and they elect to kick a field goal there. So they, they take the field goal. They go up 24 to nothing. Uh, and then the Chiefs, they, they kick off to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs get the, their momentum. Uh, they got the momentum from the, that holding them to a field goal. Right. First of all, and then on the kickoff, McCole Hardman returns at 55 yards, gives the Chiefs really good field position. They go down, score on a touchdown pass to Damian Williams to make the score 24 to seven. Uh, Texans get the ball back, and on their own 31-yard line, uh, they get stopped on downs. So it's fourth down and four. Uh, they are electing to punt the ball, but instead they decide to go for a fake punt, and. You know, the, just an amazing tackle made by Sorensen on the edge to it's stop it. Open but field tackle. That was the end of everything. And the confusion for me is, if you're Bill O'Brien and you're going all in in this game, okay, why didn't you go for it on fourth and one when you're on the opponent's 20-yard line? Like, if you're all in and going for it, then you go for That's it on fourth the moment and one. To be going go all in yeah. there. Not kick a field goal there, and then when you're up 24-7 to seven and you're, the opponent just scored, and... You're fourth and four on their tw- on your own twenty five yard line, and then you decide that's the time to go for the fake punt, knowing that if you don't get it, you give the Chiefs prime field position. The crowd's going to be back into it, and that's exactly what happened. They didn't yeah. get it. The Chiefs score right away to make it twenty four to fourteen, and at that point, ball game was over. Chiefs were on fire. It was over. Holmes was out of his jersey, man. There was it was crazy to watch. He was he was really good, and you know five touchdowns. As much as I don't like, <laughs> unbelievable. As much as I don't like Mahomes, uh, he won me a lot of money. So uh, I enjoyed that. But then uh, I go right back to hating him because after the game, his girlfriend, that Brittany chick, is screaming online about how no one thought they could win, no oh, one respected whatever. them. She just dude, shut, she needs to shut her mouth. Like Oh god. His That's, brother's pretty annoying too. Oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> like what is, she's gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was feeling like maybe I'd have to reach out to you, Johnny, because I was like at, at the beginning of that game, I'm like, oh no. Was this a bet the house game? I couldn't remember. And I was like, oh, no, it was. 24 it was, nothing. It was the bet 24 nothing game. early. I'm like, Johnny's pacing the neighborhood. Johnny's looking like some of the police <laughs> are getting called on. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. no, we got a guy who's looking on the end. I had, yeah, they had yeah. the Chiefs a lot. Yeah. I, had, I had so much on the Chiefs. And then I also had the over as well. Because, and then my thinking was also this. So that if the, the I thought the Chiefs would win by a blowout because Andy Reid on a bye week, you know, in that situation against the Texans. You know, giving 10 is a lot, but I, I just thought the Chiefs were in a really good spot in, in that game. But if they didn't cover, then the Texans were going to have to score points and the game would have to go over. So you would at least, I would at least win the Chiefs or the over on that. So right. I, I put a lot of money on it. Thankfully, both hit. And, nice. Uh, um, Daily Fantasy, Mahomes to Kelsey. Kelsey had three touchdowns in the second quarter. That was quarter. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just a, a great weekend because of that game. So thank right. you. But I go right back to hating the Chiefs. I just don't like them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. The, the stars are lining up for this to be their year, Johnny. I'm sorry. I would disagree. 
Who do you think is going to take my? I think the Titans will. Well, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, right. We'll get there in a second. Let's talk about the final uh, game of the weekend. The Seattle Seahawks go to Lambeau Field and fall 23-28. to Good game. I was expecting the weather to be worse in this game. Yeah, they they said, especially they all weekend going up to it, that the snow there would be snow in this game, as many as like 8 to 10 inches of snow. Right. And so, you know... Putting money on the game, I'm before the game started. I'm like, all right, I have to see a picture of the field, see what it's looked like, and right. if there's snow, and if I get the images from Lambeau Field, and there's nothing, and I'm like, right, what the hell were lot, they talking about? A lot of turf and helmets too, and face masks. So know. yeah, there was, there was no field. there was no weather to worry about in this game. Um, but the one thing that did appear in this game that we haven't seen in a long time is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this was a different Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, this was. was not the Aaron Rodgers that we've seen all year, missing throws and right? uh, wide-open guys. This, this was the Aaron oh. Rodgers that so many of the analysts say is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He was dropping it uh, in between defenders. Him and Mahomes this weekend were just unbelievable. The throws they were making, you have to respect the, you have to respect what they were doing. If, the athleticism. Though, I don't like Rodgers or Mahomes. Just watching them was fun to watch because they were just pinpointing the ball and, and in crucial moments some of the like did you see the one Mahomes throw to Kelsey when they were down on the Texans five yard line it was I think the the game this was the score that made it uh, 24-21 the one where he almost crossed the third the down line of he almost crossed the line of scrimmage right. and he just there were like three guys in his face or in the area and hands all over and Mahomes just flips it to Kelsey and it's like man that kind of athleticism ability and vision and, and trust to do it, and trust in his receivers. And then, for on the flip side, or on the on the Sunday game for Aaron Rodgers, those some of those throws to Devontae Adams, especially the third. We're getting ahead in the game, but the the third down throw at the end of the fourth quarter when they're up twenty eight to twenty three, it was a third and eight or third and nine, and he just dropped it right in the bucket for Devontae Adams to give them a first down, which. You know, technically didn't seal it, but basically, for all intents and purposes, sealed point. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Rodgers was doing that all game. He was he was really sharp, and the the Packers were up twenty one to three at halftime. But right. as is the case with any Russell Wilson game, he's never out of the game. Right. So the Seahawks are never out of the game. He always fights back, and he really does a tremendous job with the little he has. The running game for Seattle is basically non-existent. How many rushing yards did Wilson end up having? Uh, Wilson himself had 64, 64 yards rushing, and then the rest of the team They're combined had 46. Moments. They're all critical moments. He, yep. he came through really big with his legs. He just and Every play, though, is just him avoiding pressure, getting on the outside, and finding an open guy. He just creates, 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 and keeps players alive, and continues to make plays. So, hey, Give it up for Marshawn Lynch, too. Three weeks ago, he's pouring tequila shots at the stadium, you know, and uh, he's yeah. got two touchdowns yep. in this game. Yep. And they weren't... He wasn't very effective, though. Like, in the open field, he was, he was, you know, he was pretty much going right up the middle and getting, getting bottled up. That's what I saw. So, um... And then the other thing, uh, so the, the play after the, well, the game clincher was the third down throw from Rodgers to Jimmy Graham, and Jimmy Graham, his head looked like it hit the yellow line oh, on the right. first down oh. marker with a minute and 58 seconds to there go. There was a divot, like a full three-quarter of a yard. I don't VR. think he got the first down no. on that, and I think the Seahawks probably should have won that challenge, but it was hard to overturn that because you yeah. really couldn't get a good but angle, can't, which can't is a they, shame. Can't they apply logic? Yeah, I know. You know? John, the ball's in the middle of the guy's chest. Did you have the envelope out? No, but I saw rulers on, the, on you know, people's 
Twitter photos, people that had the rulers and they were saying the yellow line was ahead, which it did look like the yellow line was unofficial and it was like a little bit ahead of where the actual yard uh, first down marker was. Yeah, when you saw that down the line view from the, the from the first down marker mm-hmm. on the sideline, it looked like it may have it, got it there. Did. Yeah, um, it, it was a close call, and and even if they didn't, you know, say say they did, they didn't give them the first down on that. You know, it would have been fourth down, and they they could have kicked like a forty nine yard field goal, or it was only fourth. It would have been fourth in an inch, and right. who's to know if they would have gotten it, if they would have kicked a field goal, and then the Seahawks still needed a touchdown, so it didn't cost the Seahawks everything. But right, more controversy just, at the end of the it game. It's just hard to overturn. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. Now we got Green Bay going into San Francisco next week, and we have Tennessee uh, trying to complete the trifecta of. Uh, road upsets to make the Super Bowl going into Kansas City. So the first game on this Sunday is going to be Tennessee at Kansas City at 3.05. Uh, we have Kansas City as a minus 7.5 point favorite, and the over-under is 51.5 in this game. Uh, what are you guys' early thoughts here? Uh, Kansas City by a million. Really? <laughs> I just don't see anyone really, be, really being able to stop Kansas City. They're just so explosive. They can score so fast. They and in can a couple put, different ways. In so many different ways. They're so creative on offense. Their defense is pretty stout. Uh, I don't know if they're up to the challenge of, of taking on Tennessee's run game. but I think the, the discrepancy is going to be that Kansas City can score quickly. And Tennessee needs to matriculate up the field. So right. it's going to be. And they will because Kansas City's rush defense is 26th in the league in DVOA. So the, their weakness is is the run game. So right. they're going to bully Kansas City around as much as they can. They're going to try to you know use that clock and keep Mahomes off the field. It's going to be a similar game plan to what Belichick and the Patriots used in the championship game last year. And you know Tannehill's going to have to make some big throws, most likely at some point in this game. To you know because there's going to be points scored in this game clearly. Um, you know, Tennessee did beat Kansas City earlier this season. The game was on November 10th, and it was in Tennessee, and Tennessee won the game 35-32. to Mahomes had a big game, 36-50 of for 446 yards passing and three touchdowns, but Tennessee still ended up winning the game. Right. Um, and, and I feel like something similar could happen in this game. So in that game, Derrick Henry had 23 rushes, 188 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Um, what a beast. Yeah, so I think that you're going to get similar things. I think you're going to get the stats from Mahomes. You're going to get the stats from Derrick Henry in, the, in this game. And the difference is going to be Tannehill. Can Tannehill do just a little bit? In that game, the previous game that they played, Tannehill uh, had 181 yards passing for, and two touchdown passes. Now, so if he can do that in this game, then that might be the difference. Now, you realize if Tannehill does win this game, that the Super Bowl is in Miami. It would be Tannehill going back to Miami, the team that gave up <laughs> on him, playing in their stadium to be in the Super Bowl. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. <sighs> Kansas City off a bye, like I said, they're a sure thing. Um, I, I don't... I think Tennessee is almost a team of destiny at this point. Their belief is so strong. They went to New England and to knock off the defending Super Bowl champs. And hardly anyone wins in New England. You know, no matter what you say about them, it's a tough place to play. They're a tough team to beat, and they took it to them. And then 
to follow that up by going to the number one seed on a Saturday night in Baltimore, which was going wild and crazy and just doing what they did to them. And now I just... Johnny, by that logic, I mean, do you think they have a hat trick of miracles in them? Like, No, I just think that Vrabel is smart. They beat him before just controlling the ball. And they know they can run it. So if you if you can run at this 8.2 yards per clip, which is what Henry <laughs> Henry did last time against them, and then you can control the ball and keep Mahomes off the field. Eat clock. Eat, eat clock. And, yeah, I, I think Kansas City is going to struggle to run the ball in this game. And... I just think Tennessee has to limit the big plays, you know, kind of try to, you know, make Kansas City have to drive down the field because, you know, they get rolling when they, when they get those chunk plays, when they start getting those 25, 30, 40-yard gains down the field. Uh, if you can make Kansas City have to earn it, you know, 12, 13, 14-play drives, that's what Tennessee is going to want to do in this game. And I think that they have a smart enough secondary to do it. Uh, so I'm going to go Tennessee and the over in this game. And I don't know if Tennessee wins the game, but I think that they cover. And then the other thing about Kansas City is what, they were, what, 1-8 in, in their last nine home games before last week? So they're, what, 2-9 and nine in the last home, nine home games? If it was almost any other team in the NFL last week had the Kansas City up 24-0, aside from the Texans and Bill O'Brien, Kansas City probably loses last week. Right. The Texans are kings of finding good ways to lose games and giving it away. Uh, so most other teams, I think, would have won that game last week. And Kansas City clearly was tight, dropping the ball on edge. And I think the same thing will be it, with the Super Bowl on the line. I think the same thing's going to be. Mahomes struggled in the championship game against the Patriots in the first half last year. They put up, uh, it took them forever to put up any points, but he didn't have any passing touchdowns in the first quarter. And the same thing, the, the game before for Mahomes, they didn't score in the first half. So I, the Chiefs get out to these slow starts. So Tennessee can control the game uh, and be tied or have a lead at halftime. Uh, Derrick Henry is the leading rusher in the second half of the NFL. Then they can really wear him down in the second half. So I think Tennessee, if they stick to their game plan and their formula, they can do it. They can do it. Well, if Tennessee can find a way to win, it'll be the first time that the Belichick coaching tree didn't drop rotten fruit. Because that thing... But that, it's, I don't think he's part of the coaching tree. I don't give them credit for that. You don't he give Vrabel... played for Belichick. Well, yeah. But, but I, I don't... I, th I think Vrabel think that learned a lot. Well, Vrabel was a smart player. He's, he was a smart player when Super he came from player. Pittsburgh to New England. That's true. He was already That's smart. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we should move on to yep. the 640 game. Green Bay at San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco is favored by seven and a half. I believe it. It's... Uh, it's going to be a San Francisco Sunday. Yeah, well. Um, I, I know Rodgers can be the difference maker here, but the Packers and their defensive coach, Mike Pettin, they have a big flaw in their secondary, and that is giving up uh, the big play. Um, they play a lot of zone coverage, and uh, they'll play a little bit of man on the other team's side of the ball, but when, they're, when, the, <clears throat> when the opposing team is in there, on their side of the field, on their 50-yard line going in, they play a lot of zone, and Garoppolo and Shanahan have a lot of cover two and cover three beaters in their playbook. Um, and I just think it's going to be a huge problem for that. It, it, the only way that the Packers are going to be able to stop this 49ers attack is if they can get pressure on 
uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. That they need to get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo big time. Um, if Garoppolo is allowed to sit back there and carve him up, he will. And they'll get big gains and have big plays all day long just because the Packers secondary is very vulnerable and they're predictable. And that is a huge flaw. And earlier this season, we saw the, the Niners have to go to San Francisco and play. That game was on November 24th. And San Francisco won 37-8. And I don't think this game is going to be that big of a lopsided game, but I do think that San Francisco is going to cover the spread. Uh, and I just think that Rodgers... So offensively, San Francisco is going to uh, going to have should have fun in this game because Pettens is a stubborn defensive coordinator for Green Bay, and they do what they do on defense, and they don't change much. Um, you know, they don't they don't blitz a lot. They just they run their system and they they stay in it. And Shanahan and the 49ers are creative enough to take advantage of those opportunities. And if Petten's not going to change anything, then it, nothing's going to change. They're, they're going to put up another 30-plus points on the, on the Packers. But the, on the flip side, if the 49ers defense, you know, they've been so good, they're, they're so fast, and the defensive line is so good, I just don't think that – I think Rodgers is going to be in a lot of trouble running for his life all day long. Now, we know this about Rodgers is that – He's not going to throw the ball to the other team. He refuses to throw interceptions. He'd rather take a sack or throw it away than right. throw an interception. Right. So we're, we're likely not going to get many turnovers in this game. That's why I think it'll be closer than 37-8. to eight. But I think that Rodgers is going to be looking at like five, six sacks in this game, maybe seven sacks and uh, quite a few throwaways. Uh, if, they, if they can't establish the running game with Aaron Jones, they're going to be in big trouble because then the Niners defensive linemen are just going to be able to pin their ears back and go after the Rodgers um, all game long. Right. And do you think we hit the over? I, I have it at uh, 44 and a half. Yes. Yeah, because I think Rodgers looked so good last week, and he's going to need to carry that forward this week as well. Right. And I think he will. I, I think he'll, he'll carry some of it forward, but there's no way that the 49ers are going to allow Devontae Adams to get. 160 yards and two touchdowns on them. Their cornerbacks are too good. Their defense is too good. Uh, they'll they'll force Aaron Rodgers to go other places where he doesn't have a lot of trust in a lot of other guys. Um, you know, so it's if, if Aaron Jones can't contain? run the ball, if Devontae Adams doesn't get 150 plus yards, then who's really going to beat them? And I don't see it happening. Can but they contain Jimmy Graham? Jimmy Graham's not a, not a big. Big, Jimmy Graham's not Jimmy Graham from five years ago. He'll catch maybe two, three, four balls, um, if that. But, yeah, he's not a big part of the game plan, usually. I mean, I guess they, they, could, they could change it up. The, yeah, because San Francisco plays a lot of man-to-man. Uh, and I, I think that they're going to help out on Devontae Adams. They'll, they'll help roll the safeties over to coverage on Devontae Adams and keep him doubled up most of the game. And somebody else is going to have to beat them. And I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, so I'm going to give the I'll, I'll give the the Packers more than the eight points they scored before. But I don't think this game is going to. Be, I think the the Niners cover the seven or seven and a half points. Um, and I do, but I do think it goes over. Great. As well, I think we're looking at like you know 35 to 20, maybe 35 24, something like that. Unless Petten comes out and does something crazy, but I, I don't see it happening because he's been the same since he was defensive coordinator with the Jets under Rex Ryan. He's always done the same thing. He doesn't change much. And the other thing is Kyle Shanahan 
was the offensive coordinator for Pettin when Pettin was the head coach at Cleveland, and he, he resigned after one year. They hate each other. They hate each other. Shanahan <laughs> hates Pettin because he's not open to new ideas. That's that's right. the problem. Yeah. He doesn't stuck he's in stuck, his ways. He's stuck yeah. in his ways. So, um, you know, if Shanahan can get get him again and blow him out and blow doors, they're, they're going to try to do that. So, and the Niners just seem to play so fast on that field at home. Uh, yeah, you know, Rodgers looked really good last week. I know it's hard to bet against someone who looks like that and a quarterback you know who's good in big moments. But that 49ers team looks like an unstoppable force right now. Right. And the only thing I think they mess it up for him is if Jimmy Garoppolo turns the ball over, because he does make mistakes sometimes. Like that interception in his it's own a little tight butthole in his own zone. Yeah. That he threw a bad interception Woo. to uh, Kendricks last week against Minnesota. Try almost kept them in the game. But I think that's the only way that I see San Francisco not blowing doors. Okay. Well, uh, big thanks to Scott Griswold for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, one more question for you. you got a 25% chance of getting it right. Who is winning the Super Bowl this year? Well, I'll tell you who I'm going to be rooting for. Uh, I think it's going to be Kansas City and the 49ers. I'm going to be rooting for the 49ers because I only know one – Kansas City Chiefs fan, and he's kind of a douche. So <laughs> I'm going to be rooting for the 49ers, <laughs> only pretty much only because the uh, Garoppolo Patriots connection, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have you know I have a lot of respect for for a lot of people on that, a lot of players on that team. Just as a as a you know casual viewer, mm-hmm. uh, I really like the way they're running their program. I'm happy for Jimmy G having this chance to be successful. Wish he was still on the Patriots. Um, you know, wish he was riding the pine, just waiting for Brady to finally flare, flame out. But uh, which who knows what's going to happen uh, during this off season? But can't can't bang porn stars if you're a uh, backup quarterback. Yeah, well, you know you can though. I think you can. Mm. You get to bang. You get to bang the hotter ones when you're a starting quarterback. Though. Yeah, hopefully, he's upgraded by now. Do they really have that high of a standard? Though? Do porn stars really? Do you see some of the people they're having sex with? I mean, for money. Yeah. Well. I mean, look at some of the people that have sex with you. I know, right? They're beautiful. All right, Johnny. Uh, same question to you. Who's winning the Super Bowl? San Francisco. Uh, I, I think likely over Kansas City. But, man, if Andy Reid gets those two weeks to prepare, I don't like that either. I'm going to go San Francisco over Tennessee. Oh, I'll do that. San Francisco over Tennessee. Ooh. Picking, picking Ooh. Tennessee. Okay, so this is what John does. He, he works at the outcome he wants and then... Like makes his predictions backwards from there. <laughs> so the the path for San Francisco to win is for Tennessee to beat Kansas City this week. I don't think that's going to happen, and I think Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to get their championship. So I'm picking wow. the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Wow. You are not the fan that I... That I was referring to of the Kansas City Chiefs. Because <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, if Kansas City starts, we got a couple problems happening here. Right. If Kansas City wins the Super Bowl, then the Mahomes' greatest quarterback of all time talk starts 
Already? Soon. It's going to start oh, soon. Jesus. It's going to no, start of soon. Of course, of course. And here we go. Like, here yeah, we go. Here we go. I don't think Even that's, Monday morning, it was already like, oh, we've, he's doing stuff we've never seen before. And it's like, oh, that's what's going to happen the whole two weeks leading up to the Super right. Bowl. Right. And then, same Not thing. Rodgers gets his second Super Bowl. Then he's back in the greatest of all time conversation. Oh, you know, they just can't help themselves. They can't. And then the other problem we have is Jimmy G. And. Should the Patriots have kept him or not? You know, oh, so, God. but I, yeah, t- to sure. me, the Jimmy G line is the least offensive. Right. <laughs> All right. Go Forty Niners. Johnny, we got breaking news: Alex Cora fired as manager of the Red Sox. So once the Astros sanctions came down yesterday, and then you saw that uh, manager AJ Hanson, Jeff, GM Jeffrey Luna were fired by the Astros. I think that we kind of felt that this Alex Cora getting fired was going to happen because they expected Cora to have the worst um, or longest suspension out of all of them. But then there was a report today by Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe saying that the Red Sox are committed to Cora and they might stick it through. <laughs> They're committed um, to him until he... But the Red Sox sanctions, their suspensions and punishments haven't even been announced yet. And you know, so the Red Sox have officially fired or agreed to part ways with Alex Cora. It says they've mutually agreed to part ways. Um, it would have been a tough ask, too, because Cora was going to be suspended at least a year. Um, so likely he's going to get a year and a half or two years. Who knows how long? Maybe a lifetime ban. And can the Red Sox really go that long with an interim manager or like a replacement manager or the bench coach managing for a year and a half or two years? No, you can't. You can't run an organization like that. So it was once we knew that Cora's punishment was going to be longer than a year, it, 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 this was this was almost guaranteed. Yeah. So the punishments already um, doled out are one-year suspensions for GM uh, Jeff Lunho and manager AJ Hinch. Uh, both of them also uh, fired immediately. Uh, losses of first and second round draft picks in 2020 and 2021. This is for the Astros and a fine of five million. And we were just waiting for the other shoe to drop with Cora, and, and here it goes. Parting ways with the Red Sox. Time uh, to search for the Red Sox to search for a new manager because spring training starts in a little over a month. So, Marty was campaigning for uh, Voracek. Veritek? Veritek. Well, yeah, not Voracek. <laughs> That's honestly, funny. I think Pedroia <laughs> would be better. He's more in. He's you know into the game pitch by pitch and has a good head and. You know, I think I think if you're gonna go with the ex-player route, I think Pedroia would be the best choice, honestly. And you're still paying him for not playing, so you know he may as well. Well, double duty. Maybe he could be duty. the interim coach. Um, but honestly, I have no idea what the Red Sox are gonna do. It's kind of depressing, uh, the whole cheating thing. And uh, yeah, it looks like Cora was at the center of all of it. You well, know. we don't want to spend too much time on baseball in January, but uh, no. And the, and then they don't either. The MLB. They dropped this on the day of the national championship game around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just three hours before the start of the national championship game, one of the most anticipated national championship games. So this was a classic you know, news dump when you, don't want, you want as little people as, as possible to notice it because you, know, you don't want people talking about a scandal in your sport. So they said, oh, today's a good day. It's the national championship. Let's, uh, let's, let's announce the Astros sanctions a couple hours before game, and then people will gloss right over it. And so I'm sure we'll get the uh, Red Sox punishments on Super Bowl Sunday. 
Um, I have more baseball breaking news. Oh, boy. Josh Donaldson, third baseman Josh Donaldson, formerly of the Braves last year. He just signed a four-year deal with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, let's see. The, the dollar amount is not is not readily available. So, uh, but all I know is Donaldson to the Twins, four-year deal. That offense gets a, another big hitter. So the Twins are a dangerous team. You know, with the Astros getting knocked down a peg and the Red Sox, uh, watch out for the Twins. Pivoting here, our friend Bill made a request that we talk about uh, the Bruins game last night. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday the 13th, is it? Yep, and I've got or breaking news on the Bruins from tonight's game against the Blue Jackets. Uh, Tuka Rask has left the game with a head injury after being blindsided by an elbow to the head from the Columbus's Emil Bernstrom. So I didn't see it, but I'm getting the breaking news uh, that Tuka Rask is injured, had to leave the game. Uh, and the Bruins are currently down one nothing in the Blue Jackets. But, uh, yeah, okay, so that's not good. And it gets even worse. If we go back to last night for the Bruins, they had a 5-2 to two lead in the second period at the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and similar to the game against... Speaking um, of Voracek. <laughs> uh, speaking, and so going back to similar game about a month ago against Florida when they had a four-goal lead in the third period, the Bruins stopped playing hard and they blew it. So the game ends up, the Flyers tie it 5-5, five to five, goes to overtime, and the Bruins lose in, in an overtime shootout for the 12th time. They're now 0-12 in shootouts. They just can't score in a shootout. And, you know... They were 0 for 4, and the Flyers were 0 for 4 in the shootout before one of the Flyers finally broke through. And then it was Marshan's turn to try to tie it in the shootout. But you're not going to score in the shootout if you don't bring the puck to the net. And that's what he decided not to do. Um, he tipped the puck at center ice with just... Uh, he grazed it with his stick, and it moved about an inch, which qualifies as a hockey move and taking the puck... Uh, and so he didn't go back to get a chance to go back and retrieve it and make another move. That was it. That was his move, and that counted, and that was it. The Bruins blow a 5-2 to two lead to the Flyers in a game that they looked really good in. Uh, they just they blew it, and the slide continues, and the shootout slide is unbelievable. How can you be 0-12 in shootouts? 0-12. They just can't score in a shootout. It's embarrassing. Like There's something <laughs> wrong. Anyway, as the flyer was coming off the ice last night, he said uh, about Marshan missing the puck on the shootout attempt, he said uh, his nose must have gotten in the way. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously Marshan was getting absolutely killed online. Uh, so, and he just, he just posts uh, a picture of him kissing the Stanley Cup. Which is like okay, well, it's almost what ten have, years ago. Dude. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. But um, you lost Game Seven at home of the Stanley Cup. That's what you did for me lately. And then last night you forgot the puck on a shootout. <laughs> so annoying. Well, uh, there is a great um, exchange on Twitter that's been going around. Uh, at Bleeding Teal uh, tagged him in that picture and responded, uh, "That's great and all, but at least I can pick up the puck cleanly in the shootout." Also, I'm sure last night is going over real well in the group text. Winky face emoji. And then uh, Brad Marchand claps back. Your shootout is in your driveway, not the NHL, peasant. You pretend to be me in your backyard. Dream big, bud. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know, I was sympathetic towards Marshawn last week when he didn't get the nod to the All-Star game. 
which he clearly deserved. But uh, let's just focus on being better in the shootouts. How about let's focus on being better in the shootouts? He's an all-time. He's like twenty percent in shoot in shootout situations. So let's instead of chirping on Twitter, let's focus on improving our shootout game because zero and twelve. Like I said, it's. It's almost impossible to do. <laughs> and for a team that has the most tied for the most points in the NHL to be 0-12 in the shootout, it's such an like a weird anomaly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like how can you have a team that's that good be that bad at something? And thankfully they don't do shootouts in the playoffs because if they did, they'd be, be done early. <laughs> All right. It's time to talk about the premiere uh, event of the weekend, which is a little ironic because it happened on Monday night. The college football championship. Hold up. More breaking news. This is the night of breaking news. Okay. So uh, there was little of breaking news, but I thought it was break, big breaking news earlier, a couple hours ago. Uh, LSU's offensive coordinator extraordinaire. The guy I wanted, I wanted Mc, Josh McDaniels to get the Cleveland Browns head coaching job and vacate the, their offensive coordinator position, and I wanted the Patriots to get LSU offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who guided Burrow in that LSU offense this historic season in the SEC. But that didn't happen. Uh, the Browns hired Stepanski, who was just a uh, cleaned-up version of Freddie Kittens. Anyway, so McDaniel stays in New England, and today Joe Brady gets hired by the Carolina Panthers. And I'm like, oh, boy, you put him with former Baylor coach Matt Rule, um, and their offense is going to be dynamite. Whether they keep Cam or go with somebody else and McCaffrey, that offense is going to be unbelievable in Carolina. Well, on the defensive side, uh, future Hall of Fame linebacker Luke Keekley has just announced he is retiring from football. That is a sad shame because he is their defensive leader. Hmm. It's surprising. You bring in such a good offensive coach coordinator and you think things would be all exciting for Carolina and, you know, they're your anchor of your defense, your stalwart, your stalwart, your guy, you know, your all-timer, Keekly, just announces a couple hours later that he's done. Hmm. He's suffered a lot of concussions over the years, so. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows how much tread is left on the tire. He's only been in the league eight years, right? Yeah, but it's, it's a tough league. I mean, what's the league average? Less yeah. than three? Yeah, it's, it's a shame. It kind of reminds me of uh, Patrick Willis when he, he retired early. For the 49ers at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Okay. Back to LSU. Yeah. Lay it on me, Johnny. Uh, yeah, so LSU takes down Clemson, 42-25. to Joe Burrow completes the trifecta, uh, winning the Heisman Trophy and National Championship, going undefeated. He's going to be the first, round, first overall pick on the draft next year, going to the Cincinnati Bengals. First quarter, the game started out kind of tough. Uh, LSU was a five-point favorite going into this game. And, you know, Clemson, I thought in the first quarter, they controlled the game. They they controlled the line of scrimmage. They controlled the pace of play. They got up early, uh, 7-0. LSU tied it with a long pass uh, to Chase, 7-7. But then Clemson continued playing well, got up 17-7. And then things turned. All of a sudden, the second quarter came about, and LSU and Joe Burrow and coordinator Joe Joe Brady made unbelievable adjustments. They saw what Clemson was doing defensively. Uh, they adjusted, and in the second quarter alone, they put up 280 yards of offense, and they scored three more touchdowns to take a 28-17 lead at halftime. 
And, you know, at that point, I think we were all impressed by the game. You know, there was a back-and-forth game. You know, Clemson had control in the first quarter. LSU had control in the second quarter. I thought Everyone thought that we would get a, a good finish, an all-time nice finish up, to yeah. this game. And we come out in the third quarter, and it's just more of the same. You know, Clemson had a chance. They, in the third quarter, they, they Clemson, their thing is they like to – control the last four minutes of the half and the first four minutes of the second half and I think if they could win those parts of the game that they'll they'll be good and mm-hmm. so they did come out in the first four minutes of the second half and they scored and they also got the two-point conversion so they made it 28 to 25 and it was like Dabo Sweeney was pissed at the at the end of the half I mean, yeah you could see him in the, in and the so, interview and so they come out you know he was pissed right because they allowed the touchdown at the end so it was going to be 21 to 17 but then Joe Burrow passed to Randy Moss's kid Thaddeus Moss mm-hmm. uh, and they scored a touchdown with 21 seconds left to make it 28-17 LSU at halftime so they didn't win the last four minutes of the half but they did win the first four minutes coming out of the second half by ATN scoring a touchdown they make it 28-25 with the two point conversion and then we're like okay we got a ball game here mm-hmm. but from that point on something happened to Trevor Lawrence and he just started missing his guys all over the place I think in this game they said his total was 13 balls overthrown, and he was just not himself, yeah, the not the little. quarterback that we saw play in the title game against Alabama last year. Fuck, he wasn't the quarterback we saw play in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, all there was just something off with, with Trevor Lawrence all, all night long, I thought, and I thought there was the opportunity for them to stay close and compete and have a chance in this game, but Trevor Lawrence didn't allow it to happen. And LSU, they just kept scoring and, and you know. So once LSU, once Clemson scored at the beginning of the third quarter to make it 28-25, you know, then LSU scores a few possessions later, another pass to Moss for the touchdown to go up 35-25. And then early in the fourth quarter, LSU scores another touchdown pass from Burrow to Marshall to make it 42-25 to with 13 minutes to go in the game. And you think, oh, Clemson's got a chance. But at that point... Lawrence had lost his confidence, and he was confused, and his balls were sailing all over the place. Uh, and, you know, I feel like once that Clemson needed to pass the ball, they were done because Lawrence couldn't make it happen. I feel like Clemson, when they're in control, they need to have running back Travis Etienne involved. So if you can eliminate the running game for Clemson by, by getting up on them big, which LSU was up 17 points, so you eliminate the running game and you force Lawrence to pass the ball over and over and over again, then he was limited in what he could do. And, you know, I thought as much as it was a confirmation about how good Joe Burrow is and the adjustments he makes and the throws he makes and his confidence and just, you know, he put together the, the number one all-time best quarterback season we've ever seen in college football this year, throwing over 60 touchdown passes, you know, over, you know, 5,000 yards, he threw in the two games against the the number the, the two championship opponents in the uh, in the bowl playoff series against Oklahoma and against Clemson, uh, two of the top four teams in, in college football. He threw fourteen touchdown passes. The previous record was seven by Deshaun Watson. He hmm. threw fourteen touchdown passes in two games against two of the top four teams in the country. So Burrow was just an absolute maniac machine all year long. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it. Carried LSU. They beat seven top ten teams. Numerous award winners. Very deserving. They won in L- in Louisiana at the Superdome. Uh, Clemson was just overwhelmed and 
face the juggernaut. So, do you think um, Dabo Sweeney is worth nine million a year? Yeah, I think he's, they've got they've got a good program. I think that they are built really well, top to bottom. I think that they have a lot of um, the assistants are really good. You know, Brett Venable, defensive coordinator, is usually really good. Um, I just feel like, yeah, they, I feel like they have a good program. He's got a really good program. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. Clemson hadn't won in a long time. I think the last time Clemson had won a national championship before um, winning in two of the last four years now was 1981. It was the only championship they had. And they hadn't really been one of the top teams or top relevant teams in a long time. So I think Dabo Sweeney is, is well worth it. Yeah, they do. Great. And uh, <laughs> when um, is it? Ed Ogeron? Ed o- Coach O. Coach O. Uh, when, you, when they were interviewing him before the game, uh, my girlfriend was with me, and she looks up and she goes, does this guy have throat cancer? I know. Sounds funny, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> Just spends all his time screaming. Hey, got- Take it easy on the cigar, dude. <laughs> uh, you got to love Coach O, though. The, a lot of passion that he exudes. It's, it's fun to see. Yeah. Good times. Okay, well, that'll do it for this week. Um, Johnny, you're going on vacation next week, Mm -hmm. so I think we're going to have no podcast um, this coming week, but we will be back the week after and uh, to give you your Super Bowl preview show. So until then, have a good week. All right. Good luck. Good night. (laughs) 